Amen. Hadn't he took care of us? <laughs> Amen. That's exactly right. Turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Mark, chapter number 14. Mark, chapter number 14. Now, I want to preach to you for just a little while on the Lord Jesus tonight. Mark, chapter number 14. And uh, what a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord. God good to us, man. Any place we could be, and a lot of places we ought to be, if we have what we deserve. Here we are by the grace of God. Amen. Mark chapter number 14. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 3. Mark chapter 14, verse number 3. The Word of God says, And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman, having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves, and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. Whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be in your house. I thank you that we can come tonight, that we can worship, Lord, and that we can uh, find a place of rest and of refuge from this weary world in which we can be encouraged in your word and in your truth. Uh, Lord, my heart's heavy. I pray for uh, Brenda Barnes tonight, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would just raise her up, uh, give her healing, touch her, and uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help her to recover from the fall that she had. Lord, my heart's heavy for Richard tonight. Uh, Lord, that uh, he is recovering, and we thank you for your faithfulness in his recovery. But Lord, we pray you'd keep going with him all the way. And Lord, there's some this week going to have surgery, Lord, and some that are facing uh, problems and facing trials. And Lord, some that the devil's trying to sift them as wheat. But Lord, I know that in all these things you're faithful. So I pray that you'd help us to trust your faithfulness trust you not just for our problems, but with them. And to know, Lord, that you are a trustworthy God. Father, bless the preaching tonight. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name. Amen. I want you to notice with me what verse number 3 of our text says. It says, being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spike. Now notice what this next two words. The Bible says it was very precious. Very precious. Now, look a little further down in our text. Notice what happens in verse 4. There were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Isn't that an interesting way to say it? I poured this spikenard on Jesus in worship, but there are some that said, hey, what a waste this is. Take and pour this upon Him. Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence now, I don't know how much 300 pence is. I could look it up and so could you, but I'll tell you this, it ain't worth as much as Jesus is. could have been 300 million pence. It wouldn't have been worth what Jesus was. He says 300 pence and have been given to the poor. That ain't what he was going to do with it. We're told in another gospel record, this is Judas that spoke up. And Judas was a lost man. He had control of the, of the purse, the Bible says, and he just did it because he was greedy. Uh, and the Bible says they murmured against I wonder tonight, and I want to ask you this simple question. Verse 3, the Holy Ghost says that what this woman poured upon Jesus, 
what she broke and in the words of, of Judas wasted upon the worship of Jesus that it was very precious. But we're told that there were some that looked at it and said, now, what an irrational, illogical, lavish waste of a precious thing this is. I can only come to this conclusion. There must have been one of them thought he was precious. More precious than the spike. More precious than the alabaster box. More precious than the 300 pence. There must have been one said, oh, he is precious. And another that said, I'm sorry, he just ain't worth that much to me. I want to ask you this question tonight. Is he precious to you? And what do we mean when we use that term precious? Well, we could define it this way. Precious uh, is given these two definitions. Requiring very great outlay or very costly. In other words, something that is very, very expensive is what we call something that is precious. Now, let's stop and think about that. I might just preach here in a second. But let me just think with you for a minute. That'd be all right. Uh, I can't do both of them at once. I'll have to wait to preach. <laughs> uh, why, why is something of very great value? Well, for a few reasons. One, because it has great function. Something's valuable because you can do something with it. But there's another reason, because it has great rarity. In other words, there's not very many that are like it. I'd say this tonight. You say, preacher, is Jesus precious? Well, I'll tell you why he ought to be. Because can't nobody do for you what Jesus can do for you. And ain't nobody ever done for you what Jesus has done for you. If you're saved by the grace of God, I'm talking about your mama hatting, your daddy hatting, your best friend hatting, nobody's done for you what Jesus has done for you. And then I'd say this because there ain't none like it. The Bible says he's altogether loving. Hey, listen, He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the balm of Gilead. He, he's not one in a million. He's one and only. There's none that's like Him. He is altogether separate from sinners. I'd say He ought to be precious, Brother Charlie. I'd say He ought to be. It is a very great outlay and very costly. Another way we could say it is this excellent or of surpassing value. You see, whether something's precious has not necessarily to do with its intrinsic worth but rather it has to do with the value that is attributed to it by those that are around. There's all kinds of silly things in society right now that will cost you a fortune that ain't worth a thing. And they ain't precious, but people have attributed value to them. Can I say this? There's a lot of things in society today that are precious, but that the world has cast to the side. So it's not necessarily the intrinsic value. And I'd say this tonight. He is precious whether He's precious to you or me. He's still precious. But what I'm asking you tonight is not, is He precious? I'm asking, is He precious to you in your life? It's interesting. There's only two other times I might be about to get into trouble with this. I just got out of trouble. But I might be about to get into it again. You know that this word precious is only found two other times in your Bible. One time it's found in 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse 9. Listen to what it says. The Bible says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Same word that's used for precious. So Timothy, when he uses this word precious, listen now, he uses it to refer to a woman's special clothes that she owned. 
the, the purpose of the admonition Timothy gives. He's not saying women ought not uh, take care of their appearance, but what he is saying is that the more preeminent adornment that a woman can have is not necessarily the outward adornment that they put on, but rather it is the inward adornment of a meek spirit, of a gracious spirit, of a godly attitude and a godly disposition. He ain't advocating for ugliness. Somebody say amen to that. Rather, what he is saying is you ought to make sure that in the midst of all of it that you are adorning yourself with those things that are precious in the sight of God. And he likens that. He uses that word for precious there when he's talking about those special clothes that a woman has bought for special occasions. I'm not going to belabor it because I might get lynched before I leave out of here. So I ain't going to belabor it. But can I say this? Hey, listen, those of you men that are, that are, that are married, you, you know this to be true, that ladies are awful proud and awful particular about those special clothes. I'm not just talking about the old work around the house clothes. I'm not just talking about the old pajamas, but I'm talking about those special on or on Saturday night. Some ladies use wearing them special clothes. I'm talking about the clothes you didn't buy them for your husband because you don't give up years ago on what he thinks about you. You bought them for other ladies to be impressed when you wear. Wearing beautiful clothes, they are of great value, they are of great meaning, they are of great import, they are precious. But now wait a minute, there's one other time that this word is used. Uh, it's used in First Peter chapter number 3. This is where we might get in trouble. Listen to what it says in verse 1. Uh, the Word of God, said, the Word of God, not the Word of Toby, the Word of God says, uh, Likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the Word, they also may without the Word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. That word great there is the same word for precious. Now, I could say it this way. Timothy uses this word precious to refer to a woman's special clothes. But Peter uses the word precious to refer to a woman's self-control. And you say, preacher, what are you getting at? Well, I better explain it quick before you come after me with your pitchforks. He's describing the scenario of a woman whose husband does not know the Lord. And she is endeavoring to win him to Christ without the Word being preached, but rather to exhibit a Christ-like spirit in the face of his boorishness, in the face of his unkindness, in the face of his stupidity. He is, she is committing to make sure she maintains a Christ-like spirit in the midst of all of it. Now, let me just bring this down where we live. Ladies, you ever had one of them moments where if it were not for the Holy Ghost, you'd be sitting down to county jail on first-degree murder charges of your spouse? You ever had one of them moments where they just said the absolute wrong thing? If your husband don't know how to do that, let me get with him and teach him because I seem to have a special ability at it. Where just in that moment, you just say the absolute wrong thing and you can tell it is all that a woman can do to, to, to restrain and to maintain her cool and to keep from blowing up, to keep from going off. This is what Peter says about it. He says, hey, whenever she does that, when she masters her spirit, when she maintains her testimony in, 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 in light of stupidity, in light of ugliness, in light of unkindness, Hey, that is a precious thing. Now, I'd love... Uh, let me just ask you this. We might preach a whole different sermon tonight. That might be all right, wouldn't it? Is he more precious to you than the temporal things that you own? I said, is he more precious than your temporal property tonight? Can I ask you this? Is he more precious than your temper problems? 
There's a lot of folks who give Jesus everything in the bank. But then when it comes time that they have to master their will and their spirit and put themselves under subjection unto Him, here's what they say. They say, He just ain't worth that much. I'd say this, He's worth more than you getting even. He's worth more than you giving them a piece of your mind. I ain't just preaching at ladies tonight. I'm preaching to everybody tonight. He's worth more than you getting your way. He's precious tonight, isn't He? He's precious. He's worth more than anything that any job can give you. He's worth more than anything that any bank can store for you. He's worth more than all that glitters and all that is gold and all that the world has. I'm saying He is precious. But is He precious to you tonight? When I read our passage here in Mark chapter number 14, I find that there is a way to determine whether He is precious. Probably everybody in this room, if you were to say, Preacher, I believe, if I was to come to you and say, do you believe He is precious? You probably everybody would say, oh yes, preacher. He is precious to me. We'd say it when the song is sung. We'd say it when the testimony is given. But I wonder if our life agrees with our lips. This woman, by the way, can I just point this out? Nowhere in this passage does she say anything. She said it with her life. She never comes up and says, oh Lord, you are so precious to me. No. She didn't have to say it because she showed it. Some of us, all we ever do is say it. But we don't do much to show Him that He's precious to us. Uh, let's notice a few things tonight. We'll just mention this and we'll go eat and everything will be smoothed over when you got something in your belly. Somebody say amen to that. I would say this tonight. You say, preacher, can we know that He's precious to us? How could we possibly know? I'd say number one tonight, we can know if He's precious to us by the sacrifices that we give Him. This entire story centers around the breaking of this alabaster box. It centers around this woman making this great lavish sacrifice unto Him. And the Bible tells us in verse 3 that this box was very precious to her and very precious objectively speaking. And it tells me this. This is going to seem simplistic, but I believe we've got good Bible foundation for it that we can tell if He's precious by what we're willing to give Him. What we're willing to give Him. Can I say this? The Bible tells us she hath done what she could. Now, we could apply that in a myriad of different ways, but here's what I think it means. I think it means she gave everything she could. I think it means she emptied the bank account. I think she gave everything that it was possible for her to give. Now, why did she do that? Because she believed it was worth it. When there's something that we build a fence around in our lives, be it maybe some golden calf of, of, of sin or of disobedience, or sometimes it can be some idolatry in our life of some, something that God's blessed us with, that uh, some material means. Whatever it might be, when we take that thing and build a fence around it and say, God, this belongs to me. It does not belong to you. I'm keeping it. It's all about me. It's not about you. Here's what we've done. We've looked at them and we've said, Lord, you're precious. You just ain't as precious as, as that thing. You just ain't as precious as that thing. Hey, listen, a lot of people believe and will say he's precious until he calls on them to serve, until he calls on them to sacrifice, until he calls on them to give, until he calls on them to labor, until he calls on them to witness. Then all of a sudden, like old Judas, they're saying, really, Lord, you want that much from me? The direct uh, metric by which we can determine how precious he is, at least in our, our text, is how much will we give him? Now, again, I'm not altogether talking about material things. I don't... Listen, I don't want a penny that God didn't tell you to give to Wall Ridge Baptist Church. I'll go ahead and say it again. I don't care. I, 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 don't, I, I don't want a penny. I don't want our church to get a penny that God didn't tell you to give. But I'm saying this, if God tells you and we say, no, no thank you, Lord. No, I'm all right. No, I don't know if I can do that. What we're really saying is, Lord, this right here, whatever it may be, 
is more precious to me than you are. If the, if the inverse, if the converse is true, if we can tell that this woman felt like he was precious because she gave a precious thing for him, then when we won't give something that's precious to us for him, we must be saying that whatever that thing is is more precious to us than he is. I would say that we can uh, determine uh, how much we, we, we love him, how precious he is to us by what we give him. But then I thought about this. Look at John chapter number 12. Well, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Jot it down so you, you can check me later. But in John's account, listen to what it says. Listen to how it describes this. It doesn't call it precious. It calls it something different. The Bible says in verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. So in Mark's account, Brother Ken, it is precious. But in John's account, it is costly. And you say, preacher, what is the difference there? The precious describes the net value, the positive, of how much what it was was worth. In other words, it's almost as though the precious describes the value added of that gift. But John calls it costly. He looks at the other side. He looks at the emptiness in the bank account as a result of it and says, you know, it was a costly gift. It's almost like Mark says, hey, look how much she gave. John says, yeah, and look how much she gave up. I'd say this, that our love of Him is not just determined by what we give, but what it costs us to give Him. God does not judge. We learn this from the widow's might, don't we? Uh, the preacher mentioned it last Sunday night. He was preaching on it. He touched on it on Sunday night. The Lord Jesus is standing there beside the temple and uh, Him and the disciples are watching people go by. I'm talking about people with big purses, deep pockets, giving big to the temple, giving big to the work of God. And this little widow woman shuffles forward and, and, and pulls out of her little pocketbook two mites. Uh, now, the only thing less than two mites is one mite. There ain't nothing smaller than that. I mean, it's the, it's the smallest thing just about that a person can give. And she takes it and she drops it in the plate and nobody hears it hit the bottom of that bowl except all of heaven. And Jesus says, this little widow woman, she's given more than they all. For they out of their abundance have given, but she out of her poverty. It tells me this, that God does not just determine the, the degree and the grandioseness of our giving by how much it is, but by how much it costs us. There are a great many people in this world, and listen, I guess we ought to praise the Lord for it. My, uh, my pastor, I, I remember when they legalized uh, the lottery in Tennessee. I'm against the lottery. I don't say a lot about it, uh, because it ain't like i got a real spiritual reason for it. I'd just like to be able to go into a gas station and get out in less than 20 minutes. Somebody say amen. I mean, it's probably a sin, and that's fine, um, but that ain't even what it's about to me. I just want my waggles back. That's all it is to me, all right? We can sort out the biblicalness of it or whatever when we get to heaven. I just, I'm against it because I'd like to be able to go to the gas station and not get hung up there all day. But I remember when the lottery came out and people asked my, uh, my, my preacher, they said, now what are you going to do if somebody wins the lottery? And they try to tithe on it. And I guess they thought he'd be real super spiritual and say, well, no, we don't want nothing to do with that. We don't. He said, no, we'd take it. He said, uh, the devil's had that money long enough. Let's put it to the Lord's work. <laughs> And listen, I, I, I guess that's alright. I don't have no kind of problem with that. Sometimes people out of their great abundance will give. And I'm not necessarily saying that we need to turn our nose up at it because I believe God can use that. Uh, listen, if God can use me when I'm sometimes in the flesh, then I reckon God can use them when they give in the flesh. But you know what kind of giving is precious to God? Cheerful giving 
and costly giving. You may not be able to give what somebody else can give, but if it costs you more than it costs them, God takes note of that. You know, God has constructed things in such a way that no man might be impoverished in the matter of liberality with God. Because the less you have, the more potential you have to give unto Him. It's not those that are poor that we ought to pity when it comes to the matter of giving to God, but it's those that are wealthy for they must, they must determine a greater sincerity and a greater, uh, a greater motive than those that are poor. When a man's got nothing left and he gives what he's got to God, you know he meant it. But a person that's got a bank account that's sitting uh, chocked full and, and spilling over, when they give to God, they might have given it for any number of reasons. Uh, but uh, here we find that this woman, when she gave, she wasn't just giving something that cost a lot, she was giving something that cost her a lot. She had to do without as a result of it. Uh, we're told in John's account that this is this is Mary, and uh, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. I believe that probably this is uh, Mary, the the uh, sister of Martha. You can disagree with that. Some people believe it's Mary Magdalene. That's fine. They're in the house in Bethany, uh, so that's probably part of what makes me think that. But irrespective, none of these were wealthy people. But she managed to. to she here's how she did it. In the Lord's word, she did what she could. She got everything together that she could. And she said, Jesus is worth it all. He's worth more than what I've got. He's worth more than what I could ever get. And so I'm going to take it and I'm going to pour it out upon Him because I believe He's worthy. I don't think we have any questions. Even if the Holy Ghost hadn't used the word precious there, I don't think you and I would have any doubt that He was precious to her. I would say, number one, uh, by the sacrifices that we give. Number two, I would say this by the significance that we give Him. In other words, part of what distinguished Him as precious in her eyes was not merely that she gave all of this, but that she distinguished Him, that she gave distinctly. She elevated Him above what the Bible calls His fellows, talking about the others that were alive in Israel at that time. He was exalted above His fellows. She did this. She treated Him differently than she treated anybody else. I'd say this, you know, sometimes, sometimes we have a tendency to get a little uh, polytheistic in our perspective of Jesus. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, he just becomes sort of another idol that sits on our mantle. And he's got a rank somewhere in between job and somewhere in between family and somewhere in between all this and that. Can I suggest you get a new mantle that you mount a little higher and put him up on there? In other words, let me just say this. If you're, if you're trying to find out where you can fit him in, you've already got a wrong perspective. You ought to be trying to figure out where you can fit any and everything else in around him. And, and, and fit it in within His blessing and His ministry and His favor in your life. It's not about where He fits in within all of it. He ought to be the first one put in the right place. And I would say this, when she comes into this room and she gives this gift unto Him, she is treating Him different above and better than everybody else in that room. And I believe He's worth it to be treated that way. I, let me just go ahead and say it. He ought to be more precious to me than my spouse. He ought to be more precious to me than my kids. He ought to be more precious to me than my church. He ought to be more precious to me than my job, than my friends, than my hobbies, than whatever it might be. If He ain't more precious to you than those things, then He ain't precious enough to you. He ought to be more precious. You know what I notice? Whenever this happens, I notice, number one, there was murmuring. Verse 4 says this, there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against it. You know what I find interesting? This statement is made in the flesh, and we know it, because we know who made it. 
Judas is a lost man. He doesn't have the capacity to make a spiritual statement. So we don't have to wonder what the source is on this statement. We know the source. If it's not hell itself, it's certainly the flesh. And can I say this? There will always be a portion of your flesh that will recoil at the notion of putting Jesus first. Every time that you make Him more precious in your life, your flesh will always say, you know, you're being a little bit of a fanatic. You know, them other people don't do like you're doing. You know, what about these other plans that you had for this time or for this effort or for this money or for this whatever it is? What are you going to do about those? Your flesh will always recoil at the thought of making Him precious. You know why that is? Because your flesh don't believe He's precious. The Bible says this about your flesh and about my flesh in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Your flesh doesn't believe He's precious. So the, the thing you and I have to do is we have to recognize two things. One, that there's a part of us that's going to want to treat Him as less than what He is. And number two, that that part of us is dead, flat, wrong. Sometimes people, even Christians I believe, there's a difference between the Spirit of God and intuition. There is. There is a difference between the Holy Ghost of God and intuition, gut feeling, anxiety, nervousness. You'll never do anything for God that your flesh won't be nervous about. Never in your life. There won't be, if, if you're, if you do, you probably ain't doing it for Him. That's why it don't bother your flesh. Uh, there ain't nothing that you and I do for Him. There is no degree to which we make Him precious in our life that our flesh is going to sit back and say, yeah, that's acceptable. Your flesh will always cry out and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Just like Judas stepped up and said, really? We're going to spend all this on Jesus? After all, he's just worth 30 pieces of silver to Judas, right? So he sure enough wasn't worth 300 pence. I'll tell you something about your flesh. If Judas reminds us of the flesh here, if he exemplifies the flesh, can I say this? Uh, it's not just is he the most. Your flesh don't think he's even worth very much at all. The natural man despises the person of the Son of God. Only the new man values him. And the, the sooner we make that distinction and recognize that when we put Jesus first in our life, there will always be a portion of us that shrinks away from that, that recoils with that, the better equipped we'll be to hush that portion of ourselves and to say, listen, I know there's part of me thinks that he ain't worth it, but here's the problem. I done been to Calvary and I know how much I was worth to him, so I know that he's worth it to me. I would say this, that there was murmuring that took place. But then, notice this, there was a metric that was enforced. Look what happens. Jesus replies and, and says this. Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. Now this is interesting to me. Here's what the flesh does. The flesh, Judas didn't speak up and say, what a waste of money. We could have went and spent this on liquor. Judas didn't speak up and he didn't say, hey, well, this was a waste. We could have went out and had a wild night on the town. You know why? And that's probably what Judas would have loved to have done. But that's not what he said. You know why? Because everybody else would have looked at him like he's crazy. Judas, what are you talking about? Instead, here's what Judas did. He said, 
you know, we could have used this money for the poor. Funny thing about it, Judas figured he fit in that tax bracket too. But when he said the poor, he meant, you know, like me. Some, some people contribute to the poor regularly. They just believe they're part of it. Amen. And that's Judas here. Judas, Judas says, hey, he says, hey, we could have given this to the poor. But you know what I find interesting? Judas weighs a good thing against the best thing. You know, the devil won't come at you and try to get you to compare the worst with the best. He'll come at you and try to get you to prioritize the second best above the very best. The flesh, man, is sneaky and it's not going to come along and it's not going to necessarily say, well, now don't go to church today. You go down to the cotton eye Joe's and get drunk. That's not what it's going to say. Instead, it's going to say, now you go to church today, but wouldn't it be better to go see family? Or wouldn't it be better to go spend a little time with your family? Wouldn't it be better to do this? Wouldn't it be better? And it'll always be a good thing. Won't be a bad thing. The devil's probably not going to come along and he's probably not going to say to you, you know, you could give tithe, but instead you could go out and blow that gambling or blow it on some kind of sin or blow it on some kind of wickedness out here. Instead, he's going to say, you know, you could tithe, but what about all them bills you got? You know, you're supposed to be a good steward of the money God gives you. Are you really being a good steward if you're not taking care of your bills and taking care of this, taking care of that? See, he'll always come at you with a good thing in and of itself. But here's the problem. It ain't the best thing. The greatest enemy of the best is not the worst. The greatest enemy of the best is the good. And the metric is not by how precious He is to us, is not how we treat Him in comparison to the worst, but it's how we treat Him in comparison to the second best. Can I say this? Whatever second best in our life, in my personal opinion, if you're married, it ought to be your spouse. I believe Jesus ought to be first. I believe your spouse ought to be second. But can I say this, at the risk of making everybody mad, it ought to not be a close second. It ought to not be a close second. I'll go ahead and say it again. Maybe you don't need it, but it ought not be a close second. He ought to be far in first place. That's where He belongs. He is excellent. You know what that means? He excels. He advances far above all things. Our value of Him is not just determined by where He ranks among that which is bad, but it's determined by where He ranks among that which is good. In other words, let's say it this way. He should not just be prominent. He should be preeminent. He shouldn't just be important. He should be the most important. He shouldn't just be valuable to us. He ought to, he ought to be precious, meaning that everything else is paltry in comparison. I'd say this, that we can determine it by the significance that we give Him. And then finally, and I'm just going to mention this and be done. Look down at verse 8. Jesus says this, She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burial. You say, preacher, how can I know if He's precious to me? Well, one, by the sacrifices that we give to Him. By, by what we give Him, meaning how, how are we willing to give Him everything that we, that we can, and also by what we give up. What does it cost us? If it don't cost you something, it probably don't mean very much in the eyes of God. We ought to feel it when we give. We ought to feel it when we give. We ought to feel it when we give. If all you're giving to God is what you can budget, you're probably not feeling it. It ought to feel a little tight. You ought to have to look at it and say, well, you know, man, I, I mean, I, I sure could do this with that money. It ought to be that we have to give out of our poverty or out of, out of, out of, uh, out of our lack as opposed to out of our abundance. I'm not saying, listen, and that might not be very much for you. It might not be very much at all. It wasn't for the widow, but she gave more.
than they all. So I would say by the sacrifices that we give Him. I would say by the significance that we give Him. There will always be murmuring when you go to put Him in His proper place. Uh, but there is a metric. And it's not by what is bad, but it's rather relative to what is good. But then let me mention this and I'll be done. I would say by the service that we give Him. I know not everybody can do what everybody else can do. I'm aware of that. Listen, I, I, ain't, I ain't just showed up yesterday. I've been at this at least more than five minutes. And, and, and I've learned they're just not everybody can do what other people can do. There's folks in too poor health to do what some other folks can do. Uh, there's folks that don't have, just don't have the talents other people have. Let's be honest with it. I'm one of them. I mean, there's, there's folks that, that just don't have the, the, the talent to do it. There's folks that don't have the physical uh, ability to do it. There's folks that don't have the financial means to do what some other people can do. But my question is not, are you doing what they do? I'm asking, are you doing what you can do? Are you doing what you can do? When I read this, you know what I find? I find that she didn't do what others could. But she did do what she could. And that showed that Jesus was worth it to her. There's a great many that sit back and they say, well, I can't do what they can do, so I'll do nothing at all. And that tells me that the reason for which you were going to do it had nothing to do with Him in the first place. It had to do with how others perceive you or what sense of gratification that you could derive out of what you were going to do. There's a lot of folks, listen, that if, if, and I hope nobody here, and I don't believe anybody here is this way, but there's a lot of folks that if they can't, if they can't be the star of the show, they don't even want to show up. And then there's other folks that if they can't get all the praise on them, they're just not interested in doing it at all. Uh, and then there's other folks that if they can't do it exactly the way that they think it ought to be done, they just don't even, they'll take their ball and go home. That tells me this, they're doing it for a lot of reasons, but ain't none of them the right one. Because the reason we ought to be doing everything that we're doing is not for you, and it's not for me, and it's not for everybody, and it's not for our flesh, and it's not for our ego. The reason we ought to do it is for Him, because He is precious to us. See, when a man really believes Jesus is precious, you won't have to go along beside Him with a cattle prod trying to get Him. He'll just do what He can. And He won't feel bad about what He can't do, because He has genuinely done what He can do. There are a great many that get, I've, I've done it before. I've got up and preached and I've had folks get mad at me. You know, preacher, he's talking about me. Think, I don't even know your name. What are you talking about? You know you. I don't even, I can barely remember my name half the time. You think I'm preaching at you? I ain't preaching at you. I'm just preaching. But I, but I've had folks get mad and they say, I've had people, well now preacher, some of us, we can't do what other people can do. That's fine. Don't come at me. I'm good. You know? And I've told them, now listen, that's fine. I ain't saying you gotta do what somebody else can. Here's the problem. They weren't mad at me. They was mad at what the Holy Ghost told them. They was mad because they thought I was telling them they ought to do what somebody else can do. And I never was. I never told them that. I told them they ought to do what they could do. But here's the problem. Because they weren't doing what they could do, they felt bad about it. And they got mad and treated me like I was telling them they ought to do uh, what somebody else can do. Listen, I know we can't all do what others can do. But we can all do what we can do. And I find this, when a man's truly given everything he's got, he won't feel bad when there's some area that he comes up short. Because he'll know, I've done everything I could do. I'd say this, if Mary could have, she probably would have loved to have given him a hundred alabaster boxes or a thousand. But she didn't have to have any shame in giving him just the one. You know why? Because it was genuinely all she could do. You go ahead and do all you can do. Do what you can. And you'll find out God will give you peace and God will bless it and God will honor it. But a lot of times people, they won't do because they really don't want to do what they can do and so they'll get mad and won't do anything. No, do what you can do. You may not be able to do what somebody else can. That don't matter. Who cares? We ain't in a race. If it was, we'd all be losing. 
We ain't in no kind of race. Just do what you can do. And God will bless it and honor it. And then I noticed this. I thought this was interesting. You say, preacher, how do you, how do we know he's precious to us? Well, uh, by the service that we give him, she did what she could. But then I noticed this. She did it when she could do it. Notice what it says in verse 8. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burial. She knew. Have you ever heard the phrase, I'm sure you have, give a person the flowers when they're alive? Petrie's come up with that. (laughs) 1-800-Flowers come up with that. No, you know, the sentiment is true, right? Don't wait till somebody dies, say every nice thing about them. Uh, Best time to talk bad about them really is at the funeral because they can't even hear. Uh, Instead, you ought to say the good things about them while they're still alive, you know? Do the kindness to them while they're there to appreciate it. That's sort of what Mary's doing here. She's saying, you know, I don't know if I'll be able after he dies to anoint his body. I don't know what the circumstances will be. I don't know what my what my access will be. But I know I can do it right now. So I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm not going to put it off. I'm going to go ahead and do it while I know I can do it. It is great sadness that many folks get to a place in their life where they then long to have the health and the time and the energy and, and, and the, uh, the gumption that they once had. They wish they could do what they once could. But when they could do it, they had no interest in doing it. How do we remedy that, preacher? Well, we do what we can do when we can do it. If you wait till everything's perfect, I used to say this to young people all the time. I guess I'll say it to young people and old people too tonight. But I, you know, I, I used to know young people that they it was always they were always getting ready to serve Jesus. Every time I ever talked to them, they was getting ready to serve. And I know adults this way too. They're always getting ready. I don't know how much getting ready you got to do, but they're they're if there's any left to do, they're doing it. They're just, they're getting ready to serve Jesus. I'd talk to young people and it was always, well, you know, when I get, when I get in high school, I'm going to serve God. When I get in high school, I'm going to serve God. If you won't serve them in middle school, you won't serve them in high school. Or they, I'd talk to high schoolers and it would always be, well, you know, I, I get a job and I get out of here and I, I get on my own, then I'm going to really serve Jesus. Most of the time they don't. Because if they won't serve them when they're in high school, they probably ain't going to serve them when they're in college. I got news for you. Things don't get easier. I know you think they do, but being able to go to bed whatever time you want to ain't all it's cracked up to be. You're going to wind up going to bed earlier. You think you're going to stay up all night, but life ain't going to let you, and you're going to wind up praying for days that you can be in bed by 9.30. So I know you're thinking, it's going to be real good one of these days I'm going to bed, but that ain't how it's going to work. And then then there's people, I mean, my soul people say, well, when I have kids, I'll settle down. When you have kids, you'll just try to hold on is what you'll do. And then guess what? You know, they leapfrog, they do that their whole lives until they finally wind up saying, well, I get these kids raised, get them out of the house. Then I'm going to really serve God. And then one day they they wake up and they're old. Ain't nothing wrong with being old. Unless you are old, then you probably think there's a lot wrong with it. Because you probably wish you had those years back that you was getting ready. That you was getting ready. Getting ready. The truth is, we need to do what we can do while we can do it. Listen, Jesus is coming back soon, folks. I don't know how much more time you and I are going to have. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't know how much more time. And if you live like I do, you ain't never promised tomorrow. Not just as a generality, but you've got enough enemies you might not make. I don't know how much time we have. So we better serve Him now if He's precious to us. Because now's our opportunity. She said, I don't want to wait till after He's dead. 
I want to do this for Him now while I have the chance. While it means something. While it means... I tell people all the time, you've probably heard it said, at a funeral, I'll tell people, people will say, well, I got this color because I knew that's what they would have wanted. They don't care what the color of the casket is. That ain't nothing but something funeral home tells you try to sell you a more expensive casket. Like your loved one sitting up in heaven saying, pick the cherry one, pick the cherry one. They don't know, they don't care. The funeral, who's it for? The funeral's for the family, right? It's for them. They're grieving, they're processing. It's to comfort them and to minister to them. It ain't for the person that's gone on. It's for them people there. And I think Mary understood that. And she was saying, you know, I could do this after he dies, but wouldn't it mean more to him if I did it for him right now? Right now. And I'd say this, there may come a day that we stand in heaven and we say, Lord, look at this big long list of all these things I wanted to do for you. It's a big list, isn't it, God? I mean, look at it. Some of these great, glorious things I wanted to do for you. And I wonder if Jesus ain't going to look and say, now look at all this time you wasted that you could have been doing those things. But instead, you just focused on every other temporal concern that you had. I'd say this, if He's really precious to us, it's not just that we'll do what we can, but we'll get on the ball and we'll do it while we can do it, while we have the opportunity. Is He precious to you? I'm not asking you how you feel about Him. I'm asking you how you treat Him. Do you treat Him like He's precious? Do you treat Him like He's precious? If you don't, you know what you ought to do? You ought to esteem Him as precious tonight and put Him in His proper place in your life. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. Hey, I invite you to come. God spoke to your heart. Come find a place down here at the altar. I know He is precious. But He ought to be precious to us. I know He is. But we ought to put Him in the right place in our heart and in our life. Oh, He is so precious to us. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. Lord, we love You. We ask it in Jesus' name with our heads bowed.